you guys. <clears throat> Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can. We have them in baskets down by your feet. And get with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And you would find that on page 140 in the Bibles we have here. We'll also put it up on the screen, so if you can't get to one of those Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen behind me as well. We're starting a series right now called Battle Ready, and we're acknowledging the fact that as Christians, we're going to battle, that we, we live in a hostile environment, that we need to be ready and equipped and, and uh, informed of what the battle is and what it looks like, and a lot of it is really guerrilla warfare kind of stuff, and it's subtle and covert, and a lot of it happens on the turf of our hearts. And so, you know, as a church at all of our campuses, we're, we're leaning into this saying, okay, what does God have to say to us about this topic? How can we be people who are ready to engage in this battle, and what are the things that we would need to know? And so, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the armor of God, as the New Testament tells us there are certain things that we can put on that prepare us for the fight ahead, and um, we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but I thought, you know what, let's go to some stories from the Old Testament, some events and sermons in the Old Testament to help us see that this concept isn't a new one. It's something that goes all the way back to the beginning. And I think that there are things to learn even, even from Deuteronomy. And so I'm going to read the text, and then we'll pray, and we'll get to work. This is Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 19. It says, Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen, and so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt with fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who's, the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. Let's pray. God, would you please speak to us this morning? Would you take your word, and even this part of your word that feels so remote and distant, and would you make it come alive to us? 
Would you help us to see ourselves in the story with a battle in front of us and a need to have faith in you? God, would you help us to trust in the word of your promise? Would you help us, God, to believe that following you, come what may, would be a good strategy? Lord, I pray that by your spirit this morning, that you would do a work in each of our hearts and we would know you better for having been here today. Lord, would you help us to live our lives in obedience of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, two comments before we get to work. The first is, we are in a battle. We are in a battle, and honestly, the, the major turf where this will happen is, is in our hearts. It's a battle for faith. It's a battle to believe that what God says is true. And often we can kind of nod our heads to it, and we come to church, and we sing about it, and we say, yeah, we believe that. The, the problem is the disconnect between us singing about it, and us affirming that we believe it, and then our lives syncing up with it. We can live as functional unbelievers if our hearts aren't truly believing that God is doing what he said he would do. So we have to do that battle. And um, I was very helped by uh, John Piper, and he talks about the difference between a wartime mentality and a peacetime mentality. And he told in his book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life, he talked about a, a battleship that was converted into a cruise liner. And he said, the, the, the reality, the difference between those two was pretty significant when you compared what it was like during time of war and what that ship was like during time of peace. And, and, and what he was pointing out was, when there's a war, you go into this battleship and you'd look around and everything is very efficient. That it is only you know, it's only filled with the items that are necessary. So bunk beds for soldiers and those metal, you know, tray slash bowls for silverware, you know, for dishes and whatnot. And it's just, it's just kind of bare bones. What do we need to accomplish the mission? And the ship reflects that. After it was converted to a cruise liner where tourists are jumping on and doing their vacations, it was very different. These, you know, bunk bed arrangements went away. And it was the big cabins then with nice amenities, and, and everyone's just kind of going into the ballrooms and having fun and doing their thing on this cruise ship. And, and that's the reality. Too many of us are living as if we're, we're in a time of peace. And so what it's really about is, let's get as much stuff on board as we can to have fun, to have a good time. And, and we're neglecting the reality that maybe what the Bible is telling us is we're in a wartime. And we should be stripping down, thinking about the mission, and only doing things that feel mission critical. And that's what I see. When I read the Bible, I believe we should have this, we should be cultivating this wartime lifestyle, that we should be thinking through the fact that God is calling us to engage in this significant battle. Now, here's the second preliminary comment before we get started. The, the second thing that I want to say is, the reason why we're going to the Old Testament is because I think too many Christians don't go there and realize the resource that is available to them. Many of us are com more comfortable with the New Testament, and if we're engaged in a significant battle, I think it would be in our best interest to use that, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of the Bible where God wasn't just saying, oh, this material is irrelevant now. Use this Old Testament material to help us understand the nature of the battle at hand and to believe that God can use it for our good. Let me share with you one passage to help you see what I see. 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 11, Paul's writing to a church, and he's telling the story of the Israelites from hundred, hundreds of years prior to that. And what does he say? 
These things, the events that the Israelites went through, the, the struggles that they faced, the difficulties, the failings that they uh, displayed, he said these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. The Old Testament is for you. It's, it's, a, it's for you. These things that God has preserved for us, they're for us. They're, they're, they're warnings, they're teachings, they're instructions, but they reveal the character of God and they reveal the nature of the fight. And so that's why we're in Deuteronomy this morning. So let's see what this book has to say for us. The first thing I want you to see is that God calls his people to take possession of the promise. Verses 19 to 28. God is calling his people. They're right on the edge of the promised land again. And he's saying, I want you to go in and I want you to take possession of this land that God has promised to us. It's a gift and he's going to give this to us, but we have to obey the word and we have to go in and it's going to be hard. But that's what we're being told. It's a call to take possession of the promise. And at the heart of it is this, are we willing to believe the voice of God and obey it? Are we willing to listen to what he's saying and the promise that's there and believe that we can march forward with confidence that God's going to see it through? So God's word is at the heart of the matter. They're struggling with whether or not they believe uh, the promises of God to the degree that it's actually going to change their lives. So look with me at verses 20 and 21. Then I said to you, so this is Moses talking. He said, then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So, at, so here's what's happening. He's saying, God has spoken something it's very important that we would actually hear that and then do something with it. He has promised something, and we need to be the kind of people who, having heard the promise, we actually march forward believing that that promise is true and laying claim of it, obeying by faith. So this is a little tricky. It's kind of like the movie Inception. There are lots of layers going on here. Here's what's happening. This is a sermon about a sermon about a sermon, Right? Scratch your head for a minute. Wait, what? This is a sermon about a sermon about a sermon. Moses is talking to a group of people, and they're right on the edge of the promised land. And he's preaching a message, trying to prepare them. We're about to go in, and you guys need to know something. But this is the younger generation. 38 years previous, they stood in that same spot, and Moses preached another sermon. And now he's referencing it, so he's got a good memory. I can't remember last week's sermon. He goes back 38 years and he goes, hey, this is what I said. Do you guys remember this? God led you here. He promised you this land. Take courage and go get it. So it's a sermon about a sermon about a sermon. So here's the point. The word is obviously very important, that God keeps communicating it to his people, that it's this word of promise, that that God is trying to tell them what he has promised to them, and he's trying to get them to align reality to that word. This is your land. This is a good land. This is the land I'm gifting to you. Go in and take possession of it. And so here, here's what I need you to, to recognize. God speaks to us through his word. The word, the Bible, it actually communicates to us the promises of God, that he tells us what he's up to. He tells us how he's at work in this world. He tells us you know, through his commands and his, his instructions, he tells us the best way to live. He tells us all kinds of different things, but it's his word 
and what he is communicating to us through this word that helps us to know, here's the promise of God. Here's how my life can align to that promise. There are all kinds of different things that are promises in the Bible, but also words that challenge us to align to that promise. So what does Jesus say? He says, take up your cross and follow me. He tells us that we will have to make pretty significant sacrifices when we decide to be his disciple. But he says the rewards are great, both in this life and in the age to come. You will be richly compensated for the things that you are dying to presently in order to follow me. He says there are promises about our church. He says, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now that's a word of promise for us as we think about our campus and what God is up to. That's a promise. Over and over again throughout the Bible, God speaks and he's telling us, this is what I'm doing, you can believe it. And so we need to become people of the book who are listening intently and who are spending time in this book trying to learn, what does God want for me? And it's here that we can find the guiding lights for our lives. We can say, here are the big things that I know God is calling me to. I know God is calling me in this direction. I know God is calling me to do these things. He, he, he doesn't always tell me what I should eat in the morning, but he certainly tells me the big categories for what it looks like to follow him in life. And so I go to the book, and I want to hear his voice. And he speaks, I would say, he speaks very clearly. Oftentimes, the Bible is is unashamedly clear. It tells us certain things we should do, we shouldn't do. It gives us wisdom. It tells us stuff. But here's the problem. The struggle is, like I said, it's a battle of the heart. So I can be very clear on what God is saying, and I can go, yeah, I see that. Here's the problem. Am I willing to submit to, to that word of promise? Am I actually willing to allow my life to be shaped by that promise? Most of us, if we think about it, the true answer is, not as much as we'd like. Do I align my life to the promise of God? Not as much as I would like. Too often, I do this. God speaks, I hear it loud and clear, and I go, hmm, let me think about that. Let me test that. I want to make sure that's your voice, God, and I want to make sure that what you're saying is true, so let me go ahead and just verify that, the, that I have all the details right. And really, we're just saying, I, I, I don't know if I really want to do this. What you're asking me to do sounds pretty hard. It sounds pretty radical. So let me just think on it a little bit. That's what they do here in this story. They test the Lord. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then all of you came to me. So God says, go in, take possession. Don't be afraid. And they go, huh, that's awesome. We love the, the promised land. It sounds great. Why don't we go ahead and send some people ahead so that we can take inventory? Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we're to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe, and he sends them out. Here's, what, here's what's happening. This all si sounds fine and well, but we want to make sure that we have all the facts straight. So we're going to test this word of promise. We're going to send some delegates ahead, some spies ahead. They're going to survey the land. They're going to bring back a report. We're going to find out, first off, is it true? Is it a good land? But also, what's their military like? What are their cities like? What do we have to look forward to when we go in there? How hard is it going to be? And that's what we do. God speaks to us and we go, yeah, let's just, let's just spend a little bit of time thinking about this. I don't know if I'm ready yet, but I need to know, is it really true? Is it really good? But, but what if it's hard? 
What if, what if there are challenges ahead? Can I really trust God to lead me into something that's going to be extremely demanding? And here's what, I'm, here's what I see then. I see that oftentimes, here's what we do. We prefer that the, that the way to the promise is explainable. We would prefer it if, we set, if God said, here's where I want you to go, and we saw a very clear and easy path to get there, and we got to do all the work. That's the pride of our hearts. When God says, here's my promise for you, here's what I'm calling you into, we look at that and we go, okay, I want to do that as long as my name's on it. I want to do that as long as I get to march in. But this had better be an easy path. We like the explainability. We like to look at things and go, this is humanly possible. And when it's not, we freak out a little bit. God, you can't really be calling us to do something that we can't do. That just seems weird. So we look at it and we, we prefer when it's, when it's you know, explainable or humanly possible from our point of view. And, and none of us really are immune to this. Even Moses said, hey, I thought that was a great idea that we could get some details before we would go in. And what we're really doing is we're saying, we don't fully trust you yet, God. We don't fully trust you until all the facts are in and we know how this is going to play out. I'm not sure we're going to, I'm not sure we're going to make it. So they left, look at verse 24, they left and went up into the hill country and they came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. That's only a part of the story. They come back and they go, it's true. It's a good land. We saw it with our own eyes. Here's fruit from the land. But having gone there and done the survey, here's what's really going on. Their, their hearts are being revealed, that they don't, they don't really believe that they can pull it off. They don't really believe that God is going to see them through this project. And they then begin to reinterpret their experience. And they come up with this crazy idea. God doesn't like me. Look at it. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but look at verses 26 and following. He said, you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt so he rescued us just to deliver us to the giants and have us destroyed. They reinterpret the whole storyline, and this time, here's what they're feeling. God must hate my guts. He just brought me here, and now he's showing me how much he really doesn't like me. Guys, this is the language of unbelief. This is what happens when we start to look at the challenges ahead of us and the promise feeling so distant. And we start to look at all of these different challenges and we start to interpret them with unbelief and we say, I, I think God hates me. Now, the truth is I've actually met with several people from our church that that's their language right now. And I just have to so, so I'm not trying to make light of this because here's the truth. We get into life and all of a sudden we look at what God is calling us to and we go, wait, hold on, God, you want me there, but here's what's in front of me. There's a lot of obstacles for me to get there. I think, I think you hate me. If I'm being honest, if this is the way forward, you must hate my guts, right? If this is, you know, this health condition is never going to get better, it's just going to progressively get worse, and I'm doing all these things, you know, trying to do right and trying to serve you and trying to follow you. If that's my calling, if that's the station of life and this is just it, you must hate me. These relationships that are so broken beyond repair, 
if this is really how you've called me and the place in life where you've positioned me, here's what I'm feeling. You must not like me very much. If this is how it feels to try to find work and be able to provide for my family and it just ends up being closed door after closed door after closed door and I just struggle, you must hate my guts, God. And the truth is, as you look at this, and if you were to be honest, is there any portion of this where you would say, maybe they're partly right? You know, maybe you look at how God is dealing with them in these 38 years of wandering through the desert wilderness, and maybe, maybe there is something to this. Maybe God doesn't like them, and he's punishing them. But I have to say, that, that's the exact opposite of true. That you might be in that situation this morning, you might be feeling like this is so unfair, this is so, so unfair. And God is, he wants to speak over you. I love you. And the promised land is right on the other side of that. But I'm not minimizing what you have to go through. Look at the report. They, they tell us how big the issues were. They say, where can we go? Verse 28. Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw Anakites there. So here's what's happening. They're looking at these obstacles, and they're significant. Their military is bigger. Their people are stronger. Their walls are fortified. They're up to the sky. They're looking at this, and they're going, this is, you know, if God really wants us there, there has to be an easier path. And that's how we often feel when we recognize God's calling us beyond those challenges and to the promised land. But it's not going to be an easy path. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard. And the truth is, maybe maybe God can actually use those challenges to get us ready for there, right? Some of those challenges, God isn't saying, hey, I don't like you, so I'm making this really, really hard for you. Maybe God's saying, I love you. And some of these things that you're going to go through are going to be incredibly challenging. But at the end of it, you're going to have a greater appreciation for the place I'm taking you. You're going you're gonna to see me in a new way. You're going to trust me in a deeper way. You're going to love being there. You're actually going to be stripped of your love for comforts and your love for just things that you want in your life, and you're going to become a resident and a citizen of the kingdom of God. But you're going to go through it, and it's going to be hard. And so they're revealing then this descent into fear. They're telling us that they are full of fear. They, they're saying our hearts are melting they're all stronger. What are we supposed to do? We don't even know where to go. So here's what we need to recognize then as we look at their story. We need to become the kind of people who have faith in the promises of God and who are able to look beyond the challenges that are right in front of us and to where God is calling us and believe if, if God is taking us there, even if that means I have to go through some very challenging things, I'm going with God and it's going to be good. But we have to struggle with that. That's a battle of faith. We're saying, God, I believe your word to be true. And the facts don't all line up, but I believe that you are calling me to good things. So that's the kind of people that we need to be. People who struggle with our own hearts and we battle for our faith. And we have examples of people who did this. Joshua, this next generation that Moses is preaching to, he had gospel confidence and he went in. And they got to experience the blessings of the land. You guys will remember there was a little shepherd boy who went to bring a sack lunch to his brothers on the, on the field of battle. And he gets there, dropping the lunch off, and he hears a Philistine giant mocking the people of God. And this little boy, untrained, he says, 
Who's that guy? And why haven't we done something about what he's saying? And what does he do? This is little David. This is soon to be King David, but little shepherd boy David says, I'll take my slingshot and I'll take my staff and I'll take my promises of God and I'll go show that Philistine what's up. And everyone else is like, dude, you're crazy. Let's get you some armor. Let's get you some weapons. And he says, no, no, no. I've got everything I need. He comes at me, you know, with a sword and spear and javelin and all this stuff. I come at him in the name of the Lord. That's a person who has done that battling in his own heart and said, God said something. I believe it. God said something. My life is aligning to that reality. Yes, there's a giant. Yeah, on paper, this guy should smoke me. But God's on my side. He's going with me. I'm going in his name. And he actually fulfills that, that battle. He beats the, the giant. We need to become those sorts of people. That when we hear the voice of God, we don't excuse ourselves. We don't say, let me take some time with this. We say, if God says it, it must be right. And I'm going to go in that direction. Now, the second thing we see here in this sermon is that God is calling his people to take courage. Verses 29 to 33. Then God said to you, don't be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. They are fearful, that first generation for sure, and Moses is speaking. Don't be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. And I'll give you some reasons. You can have, you can have confidence and you can have hope. There, there are significant reasons for this. Here's one. I'll go with you, God says. I will go with you. You are going to go and yes, you're going to march through you know, walled cities and giants and all that stuff, but I will be with you. Look at verse 30. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. He's saying, look, this is scary but I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to lead you through this. And so he's trying to give us some confidence. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. I'm with you. And then he also says, not only am I with you, I have a history of being with you. Just look back. Look back at how I did this in Egypt and I rescued you and I led you through the wilderness. Look at how I have done this historically. So here's me this week working on my sermon the, you know, working on the uh, armor of God stuff, and I get late in the week, and I'm working on some stuff, and then I realize, oh no, like the way that everything is playing out, I said, this isn't actually going to work how I hoped, and so I scrapped that message, and I, you know, now all of a sudden I'm starting all over, which by the way, preaching's a lot harder than you might think, you know, it's like writing a term paper every week, and then delivering it to all your friends, and they expect you to, you know, share something profound about God, so I get to the end of the week, and I'm like, I don't have a message. And here's, here's what's happening. I'm a functional unbeliever. I know God is good. I know that he cares deeply for you guys. I know that he provides pastors to teach and lead and guide and shepherd. And I know all of these things. I can affirm all of that. But here's what's really going on in my heart. I don't have a message and Sunday's coming. I'm a functional unbeliever. Here's what I'm saying. God, you must hate my guts right now right? I mean, if we're just being honest, when we examine our hearts and we go, why did it play out this way? This is what we do. We look at the situation and we go, man, if this isn't how I thought it would go down, does God, I mean, what is God really like? And here's what God whispers. Hey, what happened last week? Right? Because here's what he's saying. Look backwards. Look at how I handled Egypt, how I handled the wilderness. Look at last week. I was there. I, I led you. I'm not going to leave you right now. I'm not going to forsake you in this moment. 
Just look back. I have a history of being faithful to you. Here's another reason why we can take courage. He says that he will carry us. Look at verse 31. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. Um, last Sunday, we went to Lake Geneva. They had a like carnival kind of thing there and fireworks. So bring my kids there. But Harrison hates fireworks. I mean, he hates, he's four years old. And throughout the course of the year, this is a pretty recurring conversation. He will bring up fireworks to talk about how he doesn't like them. He just brings it up, like in a conversation. Hey, uh, are there going to be fireworks? I don't like fireworks. Like he just reminds us all the time. And so this year he had like the noise canceling earmuffs and we watched him from inside of a vehicle. And he's like, you know, he gives me the thumbs up, but can't hear anything. So we go to Lake Geneva and the fireworks start going off and he covers his ears and he's just panicked. Then he runs and he's like, you know, he's in my arms and we watch him and he's like not that into it because he's just like, I don't want anything to do with this. And so then they finish up and what does he do? He won't take his, his hands down off of his ears. So it's like, you know, hey bud, fireworks are done. They're not lighting off anymore. Good. But he won't take them off. And then it was so busy there that night. We had to park so far away, but you know, I scoop them up and I'm holding them. And, and I was just thinking this week, that's a picture of the Christian life, right? We're, we're just kind of hunkering down going, what's going to happen here? And God is saying, look, this is how I deal with you. You might be fearful, you might be scared, but I'm just going to carry you where you need to go. And you can just trust me. Like a father carrying his son, you can just trust me. I'm just going to take you where you need to go. This is how I deal with with my people. So don't be afraid and do not worry. I will go with you. I will carry you. And these are all incredible, incredible promises. But look what he says next. We should be the kind of people who have faith, who trust God, who move toward the promise of God. Nevertheless, oftentimes we shrink back in fear. Verse 32, in spite of all of this, you did not trust the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. You didn't, they didn't trust God. This is crazy. Sometimes we read the Bible and we go, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we had these sorts of experiences? They had the literal leadership of God on display in their life. They would wake up in the morning and there was a pillar of cloud. And if the pillar of cloud moved, they'd pack up camp and they'd move with it. And at nighttime, there was a pillar of fire. They had the literal leadership of God in their lives as he's marching them around, showing them the places that they should go. And nonetheless, despite all of that, they didn't trust God. They allowed their hearts to be full of unbelief and they didn't follow him in to the promise. They, they had to spend 38, 40 years wandering around the desert wilderness. So we need to be careful because when I read this story, do you know what I see? I see me. I see my heart. I see my unbelief in the promises of God. So what can we do about this? How can we get after this battle? What are some of the things that we should be doing to help ourselves become people of faith, people who trust God? And I think we have a very privileged perspective. We live with the ability to look back on all of history and see how God has been doing his saving work throughout all these different seasons in the life of the world. We have the ability to recognize that the promises that God made to the Israelites were really pointing forward to even better promises that come true in Jesus Christ. 
that the promised land to get in there and to have rest, the writer to Hebrews said, they were just looking forward to this better reality, to this day of rest, this time with God in his city, in safety, together with him. And we can then see that all of these promises that God has been making, they come true in Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. This is Paul writing, and he's reflecting on this truth. He said, for no matter how many promises God has made, they're all yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God makes a promise, and we get to look, to, we get to look back on all of these promises that he made, and we begin to realize, in Christ, that's true for me. So he's going to bring us home. Amen. In Christ, God has prepared something for us who are believers. We get to look at how God is saying, I will be with you, and we're able to say, amen. In Christ, God is with me by his spirit, and we're doing life together. I get to look at all of these different promises, and I get to celebrate the goodness of God because of Jesus Christ. So no matter what life is dealing out right now and how hard it may seem, we need to become people of faith who trust in the promises of God. And then we'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, because he, he thought about this a lot, and he looked at the challenges and the sufferings and the difficulties, and then he still came away with this conclusion. God loves me. I know that for sure. And no matter how hard this life might be, there is nothing that can come against me that could destroy me. This is how he puts it in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to all these things, the difficulties, the sufferings, the persecution? What shall we say in response? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If we want to know that the promise is true, we look to the cross. If we want to know that God will see it through, we look to the cross and we say, if God sent his son to die for me, then there's no end to what he is willing to do to display his love and kindness to me. Come what may, no matter how difficult life is, I can say with confidence, how would he, not, how would he give his son and not also along with him graciously give us everything that we need? As Christians, we have that unique ability to say that. God is good, his promises are true, and we see that most, most fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite the band to come and we'll sing one more song together. But I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you can or if you're willing. And I'd like to pray as we come to a close. Lord, we're doing battle this morning. We're opening our hearts to you in this moment and we're asking God to show us pockets of unbelief, places where you have spoken clearly and we're having a hard time believing that that's the good and right way forward. And a part of the reason might be because it looks so daunting. God, would you help us to see that your promises are good? Help us to believe that following you, no matter how difficult it may seem in this moment, will, will ultimately be for our good and for your glory. Help us to silence the, the lie that you hate us. When we evaluate our lives and the brokenness that we find, would you help us instead to, to interpret it appropriately that you love us? And, and even the challenges and the way that you walk with us through them are actually displays of your love. God, help us to be people of faith. 
Help us to see Jesus Christ as crucified and risen for us and give us confidence in him. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. We pray and worship in Jesus' name. Amen.